This episode of Hodinkee Radio is proudly brought to you by Accutron and their latest collaboration, the Accutron La Polina Spaceview 2020. That's right, Accutron has partnered with the well-known cigar brand for a brown-toned limited edition that comes with some very interesting extras, so be sure to stay tuned for more details later in the show. Hey, it's me, James Stacey, and this week's episode is a fun chat between myself and Hodinkee's founder, Ben Clymer. We met up in Los Angeles earlier this week to chat about the latest in special chronograph complications from Omega and Patek's recent run of releases, including the 5811G, the Wild 5373P, and a whole bunch more. Two things to note before we dive in. First, the Hodinkee Shop is an authorized retailer for Omega, and second, this episode has some bad language. So if you or those with an earshot are sensitive to such things, please consider yourself warned. Other than that, let's get to it. All right, Ben, we're coming live from my hotel room in L.A. I'm in James Stacy hotel room, ladies. Don't get uh, too excited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but we're in L.A., and, and the, the interesting thing is we kind of came here with kind of no idea what we were going to see. We knew it was for Omega. Correct. And obviously, if you've listened to the intro or you've seen the title for the show, I'm sure it gives away some of this. But it turns out they brought a bunch of people to L.A., right. to the Walt Disney, you know, big theater. In downtown L.A. Yeah, and showed off kind of a heavy hitter new complication. I mean, I would say, who knows what you're ever going to walk into at a watch event, right? Like, you just have no idea what our, our friends in Switzerland could be up to. Yeah. Omega is a top-tier brand, so you would assume it's going to be something, you know, significant and high-end, which th- this has been for sure. I don't think either one of us could have anticipated that we were going to see a 575 component basically repeating split second chronograph yeah. in the case of a Speedmaster and basically a pocket watch. Yeah. But we did. There were some uh, teasers online and one of them showed like a button that has a musical note, a single musical note on it, but with the case of a Speedy and you're kind of like why would you make a Speedy repeater? Right. Which makes which makes very very little sense and I think it's amazing like there's like kind of corporate communication then there's like real communication even from the very top and there was a great example of that today where like in this presentation from omega there was a line that said omega created the very first repeating wristwatch which is like true-ish and then we were with with Reynald Eshelman, who's the, the global ceo and somebody that i think we all know pretty well and he said yes this is true but everybody knows it was really an automatic gate movement and i think like that is the type of stuff that i wish we had more of first of mm-hmm. all so credit to, to Reynald there for sure but th- there's no real reason why a speedmaster should have a minute repeater there's no history there's no lineage there there's no there's no real reason for that right and the truth is of the matter at least for today is it doesn't Correct. Yeah. What, what so thank got, God, right? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And so what we got is called the Chrono Chime. It's in two models, like Ben alluded to, kind of a, a 1932 style, essentially a, a pocket watch with a strap. Mm-hmm. And then a, what is essentially a modern Speedmaster or a, a 2998 derived Speedmaster case style. Yeah. And, and I'll say like, thank thank God for the latter. And when I was sitting yeah. there in the presentation, I was like, wow, this is legitimately the craziest thing I've seen from a major, like, you know, kind of like a non-longa, non-protect mm-hmm. style watch manufacturer in, in half a decade. Uh, and then I was sitting there like, damn, like they're just wasting it on this case that effectively will not be appealing in at all to a guy like you or me. For sure. Basically anybody then under the age of 60 or 70. And then they dropped the Speedmaster version of it. And I was like, oh, okay. Like that, that makes sense to me. Yeah. And the adventuring dial, which of course we've seen on QPs in the past, like it, it's something they do kind of hang on to for special things. Mm-hmm. They're 45 millimeters wide. I don't have the exact specs. The press releases is, is kind of 
in my inbox. Uh, we're, we're digesting this pretty quickly, but it's around 17 millimeters thick. Yeah. But the thing to consider here is they both use the same movement. It's called the caliber 1932. Mm-hmm. It's a hand wound movement, which all on its own is 9.05 millimeters thick. Yep. Like Ben said, 575 components, a lot of them made out of 18 karat Sedna gold, 60 hours of power reserve. It's a uh, master chronometer, uh, meta certified. So 15,000 Gauss, 13 patents represented in this movement, which is currently only in two watches. And I actually buried the lead on this one because it's a five hertz coaxial. And right. if you're a coaxial nerd, that is a generational jump for that movement. It is. And I think, you know, there was another journalist in our group that, that you know, I would say, you know, pointedly um, remarked that, like, does this mean that we're going to see that uh, escapement in a Seamaster or a Speedmaster? If we did that, that, as you said, that would be that would be a meaningful jump forward if you're an Omega nut or not. So the project of this whole movement, the 1932 caliber is about six or seven years in the running. And obviously all these patents and and the big thing was moving to five hertz so that they could do one tenth of a second. Right. Which they're kind of crossing the connections for this line, but it, a lot of it is for their first time as the official uh, timekeeper for the Olympics, which is 1932. Mm-hmm. And then you also have where they made the first kind of pocket watches with a strap that were also repeaters. Correct, yes. So they're yes. mixing chronograph and repeaters, and what you get is a chrono chime. In, in case the name isn't obvious, it, it's kind of wild that it's even possible, mechanically speaking. It's wild. But you run your chronograph, and then when you've measured what you want, and it's a split-second chronograph, then you hit their button for the repeater, and it's not a slide, it's a button, and then it, it reads you the chronograph measure. Right, and it, it, it's amazing that in the year 2022 that nobody has thought of that, or not thought of that, but executed that. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit like when Longa did the double split and then the triple split. It's like, oh, like that makes sense, right? Like split seconds is actually not all that useful unless you're timing something sub one minute, uh, which is not that much in, in today's day and age. Um, it's amazing that nobody had come this far. I, I think, you know, there, there's like the intellectual kind of, side of me which is like okay like the idea of like a chiming watch in a split second is just bizarre because like chiming is like the most emotional kind of romantic like you know high 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 complication and a, a split second a rotropon is also a very high complication but like the most kind of like hyper masculine like we're gonna fucking time a race you know um so putting them together like doesn't make a lot of sense from like a traditionalist standpoint but from a watchmaking omega speedmaster standpoint it makes a whole hell of a lot of sense right and when you consider the fact that Omega is a brand that really likes to do a lot of different models. They have a lot of SKUs. And you can kind of get almost anything you want in a Speedy, a uh, Seamaster, et cetera. Yep. This represents kind of a pinnacle for them in terms of both price point and complication. The rest of it, you know, these are the better part of a half a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. They're, you know, they were saying comfortably $450,000, depending on your currency in, in that range, dollars, euros, et cetera. Sure. They also went like a step above in terms of finishing. They went a step above in terms of all, all sorts of uh, little elements that that kind of weigh in on on the experience of the watch. Yeah. I, I like an adventuring dial quite a bit. Me too. They have a lot of impact. It is kind of like looking starry. And then as a watch photographer, I love it because I don't have to remove dust because you can't tell what's dusty yeah. or whatnot. Well, it turns out James Stacy only wears adventuring dials. It's a quiet secret. I've never put any on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm curious, Ben, because like I I can sit here at like an, a sort of pseudo academic level and read stats off my computer screen, but like I'm not a minute repeater guy necessarily. I have no personal experience with them. But we need to change that. I, that's I think a minute repeater. I'm comfortable saying it's something you work up to. <laughs> yes. <laughs> in in your experience, how do you think it sounded? Where do, where do you think it kind of stacks up? Because they made a point about saying that the 
using the same metal, the Sedna gold for the case, yeah. the, the gongs, a bunch of the movement yeah. allows for a certain resonance that you wouldn't get with platinum, for example. What do you think? Yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it sounded great. Um, I think it's important to note that finishing while excellent, truly excellent, is not Patek Langa, you know, sure. AP level, really. And I don't think that was the intent. Uh, and on top of that, of course, you're getting a whole new complication, not just a minute repeater, with a split second chronograph. So I just want to keep everything relative here yeah. so that like you kind of like you, you get what you pay for, so to speak. Yeah, the achievement of the minute repeater is, is almost secondary to what they did with the rest of the movie exactly that and so i think like relative to like you know the the three repeaters in my mind that i think of often would be any ap's derived from the supersonary any patek my favorite being the 5078 which is the, the simple time only you know it looks like a just a little calatrava but it's got a slide on it uh which is lovely sounding and then the most recent longa minute repeater that sure. i was just last year uh those and then the 4261 bashron but that's old so it doesn't really count but it i wouldn't say it was in in the league of the protect the longa or the ap but i don't think even omega themselves would would kind of suppose that it that it should be it's amazing for what it is when you consider who they are and what else you get and again this is like, like we're comparing a, a, a chiming watch that is dramatically different than any of those three watches that I just mentioned. So I thought it sounded great, but I think like, you know, the, the, the real takeaway there with, with this production is that like Omega continues to do stuff that like, you just like wouldn't expect them to do. Yeah. And, you know, I, it reminds me of a product that came out in 2018 that where they basically re uh, revived an original Omega chronograph movement from 1913. I don't know if you remember that. O only vaguely. Yeah. yeah. So it came out in 2018. We wrote about it. This is in the same sort of like pocket watch aesthetic trench watch. Yeah. Yeah. So o Omega was an early innovator in chronographs, I, I think, obviously. Uh, and so, you know, they had this 18 line chronograph, the CHRO. That was really, you know, kind of something that was was kind of like at the genesis of of, of wrist bound chronographs, and they remade it. They, you know, a lot like the three twenty one. This was kind of the precursor to three twenty one. Uh, they remade it in two thousand eighteen with an enamel dial and with like you know hot horology finishing, and it was one hundred twenty thousand dollars. And I remember when that came out. I'm actually looking at the story from two thousand eighteen right now. You know, the comments are exactly what you'd expect, which is, you know, I agree with so and so that it's overpriced. Looks really cool, but one hundred twenty thousand dollars for an Omega. Like, there's room for people to kind of push upward. And I think if you looked at that Omega from two thousand eighteen, like, and you compared it to, I don't know, like say fifty one seventy from Patek or fifty two seventy, whatever, like. It, it is at the same level. And by the way, like it's kind of more interesting because it's not what you would expect. You right. know? So this is a 400 and we'll say 400 plus thousand yeah. dollar watch, but you're getting something that is completely new mm -hmm. and different. And on that level, I get it. You know, am I running out to, to, to spend my hard earned money on it? Like I'm not, but they're only making how many this year? Three. Oh, it, it, I think they said like eight was going to be the wall. Right. Yeah. 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 So the, I, I think that the number was two to three by end of this year, like already done, <laughs> yeah. basically. And, and then I think we saw two of them today. Yeah, we they did. Were yeah, those were production watches. They were very serious about the fact that we were not seeing prototypes, yeah. which I respect so much. Dude, we we all respect that. I mean, like, I think there was there was a period of, of my career, I think maybe a little bit before. Certainly we worked together, but you were probably in the industry somewhere working. I was kicking around. Yeah, kicking around. But these guys would pr produce these bananas, crazy concept watches, and they were fucking amazing. And back then, like, that was when, like, Max and Erwark and all these independents were really starting to take off. And we're like, wow, like, this this Harry Winston or this so-and-so is just going to, like, revolutionize independent watchmaking. And then the watches were never made. Yeah. You know, or one was made, and it went back to service a thousand times. And that was a little bit of Jorn in the early days. Yeah, and, for sure. And all, and all that. Yeah, like, or they made five. They went to the four people who actually wore them, and those all broke. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that, now they're in a drawer somewhere, you yeah. know? Uh, they'll show up at Antiquorum or something. Um, you know, it, it's it's this is a really different thing. And, like, if you know anything about Omega and Reynold, like, this is 
you know, a top tier mass production company that will make shit work no matter what, you mm -hmm. know? And like, I've got a Speedmaster on that I bought in 2004, in 2018 and like, I haven't serviced it once. It's only been four years, but like, I bet this goes 10 years without a service. And my guess is that these watches will work incredibly well, probably much more so than the Longa, the, the Paddock or the AP that I mentioned earlier. But I think like what's important to note is like Omega basically did two presentations today, one for us in the afternoon, like, you know, the, the lowly journalists, the guys that are the bloggers, basically. Knuckleheads. Exactly. And in the morning they did it for clients and we're talking end clients, not retailers, like people that could buy this stuff and would buy this stuff. And, you know, we'll see tonight we're going to be intermingling. We'll be commingling with, with these folks. And I'll be interested to see what, what people have to say about it. And we'll see if there are any takers. They have two or three this year. I'm sure they're already, already sold. I've yeah. spent my yeah, life yeah. on it. And, you know, it's it, this is going to be a fun story to come out, which will be published by the time this, this this pod comes out. You can predict the comments. Like, I could write the comments right now, you know? Like, it's 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 completely predictable. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. It's a little bit like Sting. Like, not, you know, not for me necessarily, but, like, I appreciate that, that, that this watch exists for sure. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, look, I, I think that's probably all we need to say about the Chrono Chime. We'll have more on the site, obviously. I think that there's pretty in-depth sort of technical story to be t told here. Yeah. Because the watch is just, it, it is that level of technical prowess that like Omega is great with, you know, imagine like the, the central tourbillon stuff, mm -hmm. but to a different level. Yeah. I mean, so the last thing I'll say about it, and, I, and I've got a doc in front of me here, I'm just going to rattle off some stuff just because, you know, just because like, to, yeah. just to kind of like put a fine point on it. So hand wound 575 components, 60 hour power reserve, which is insane for a split second chiming watch, 15,000 gauss, 13 patents, five Hertz coaxial with a 10th of a second capability in the chronograph, mono pusher, vertical clutch, it's just, this is, this is real watchmaking, you know, and it's, is it the finest finished? Probably not, but it still looks great. I mean, it actually, it's slightly reminiscent of the Longa Rotropont from a few years ago with that kind of like frosting finish. Yeah. looks amazing for, for an Omega. It looks amazing, period. And I think it's just, it really is like a tour de force, I would say. It's time for our ad break and we're thrilled to have Accutron supporting yet another episode of Hoodinky Radio. This week, we're talking about a special limited edition collaboration that Accutron has created with the cigar brand La Polina. Limited to just 222 units, the Accutron La Polina Space View 2020 has a brown accented dial and comes on a brown leather strap. Measuring 43.5 millimeters wide and housing both Accutron's eye-catching electrostatic movement and a special caseback design celebrating the collaboration, the watch is only part of the story as each example will also come with a custom-designed humidor, a cigar cutter, and 10 cigars for your collection. With a unique dial execution and these exciting extras, the Accutron La Polina Space View 2020 Limited Edition is sure to be a hit with those who love to sit back and talk watches while enjoying a great cigar. You can learn more in the show notes or by visiting AccutronWatch.com. A big thanks to Accutron for their continued support, and now, back to the show. And then I think the other thing that I want to get to, it's also in the same document, which we're reading from, are these new Pateks. Because Patek did the big drop, like yeah, a think, bunch of watches. Yeah, it's a whole bunch of watches, like, and like kind of none of them matter, if that makes any sense, you know? And, you know, th there's no bigger Patek dork than me. Uh, but yeah, this was like a really unexciting bunch of watches for me. So I was traveling when this happened, when this dropped. I was bouncing between Geneva and, and Frankfurt, as mm -hmm. I do occasionally. And I got assigned a story and we'll get to these watches in a minute, but I got assigned a story. And when I looked through the press release of all these watches, 
I was like, oh, I think I got to sign the two watches <laughs> I like the most from these. And which are they? Uh, which is the the new uh, World Time Flyback Chronograph, the 5935A, which totally. is now in steel. Mm-hmm. I'm obsessed. I think it's awesome. I, I'm, I'm just a deep sucker for Patek World Times. It would yep. be, if I ever achieve like a certain level of status, I'd be thrilled to be able to own one. It status, wouldn't have to fame, be this one. fortune, yeah, all the all that stuff. Uh, the one in the middle, I don't need at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you know, a, a fortune I think is required <laughs> for this for any of these. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the the new fifty two hundred four with an olive dial uh, yeah, in cool. uh, in white gold, right? But yeah. I think that the big headline, of course, is a new Nautilus, the fifty eight eleven G. So it's white gold. It's a millimeter bigger. The the reason that I, I kind of saved some of these to talk about on the show or or I'm happy about the timing is because like, let's be honest, like I'm not a Patek guy. I've never owned one. Uh, my my interest in them is kind of like my interest in supercars. I like the stats and I like considering what I might be kind of keyed into if I could. Mm-hmm. But like that's a different, you're you're on the opposite side of that line for me. I'd, I'd, I'd love to know like from your perspective how you see any of these. You said that none of these were like necessarily jaw-dropping things for, for you and your taste. Like... How's the fifty eight eleven hit for you? It doesn't hit. I mean, it's like it's a it's a great watch. Then I mean, I've, I feel like I've done this exact podcast probably five uh-huh. times before, and that's not that's not a statement on you at all. But it's like the Nautilus is an amazing watch. I have one. I'm yeah. always going to have one. I, if somebody offered me this watch, I would buy it in a heartbeat, and I would love it forever. Sure, but it's not like it's just not exciting to me the way that that. The first Nautilus is, if that makes sense, like uh, you know, baby's first Nautilus is. It's one millimeter larger. It's the same movement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's white gold. I've owned a white gold Nautilus in the past. They're awesome, um, but I just don't care. And do you think this is the long lead? Like the steel's coming, obviously at some I, you know, point. I mean, there, Who knows? There, there was but... some quote somewhere. I don't know if it was on our site or in the FT with Nick. I, I don't know where it was, but I could have sworn somewhere. That Thierry said that steel is not coming anytime soon. That they oh, made wow. enough steel watches, but don't quote me on that. We can okay. fact check that. Yeah, before fair it goes out. But you know, is it titanium? Is it some other like lightweight metal? They they will do a non-precious. Like there's no question about that. They have to. That's what the Nautilus is. A titanium would be something to think about. Be neat. A it new would be experience. Neat. Yeah, and like we've started to see some people. Like Langa did the Odysseus in titanium. Uh, you know, there's boy. There's, is that a good watch on wrist? That watch does not communicate in a PDF on your screen. I, I don't think there's a, a watch that's communicated worse relative to how good the watch is than the Odysseus. That watch, when you see it in a PDF or on the like the soldier, it's like, man, they really fucking missed this thing. And you put it on, it's like, damn, this it's is so good. The finishing is so crazy. It is. It's, it's a longa. You know, it's like you kind of yeah. you know exactly what you're I mean, like, there. For titanium, I feel like I've only seen finishing like that from David Toon. Yeah. Yeah. Who like really pushes the limit on how much you can pull out of titanium. The the only the and I'm partial because I have one, which would be the RD2. Like that's oh, a titanium sure. yeah, bracelet, yeah, of course. You know? But you know, AP knows how to finish some some titanium for sure. Um anyway, so 5811G is a big fat whatever. I would still <laughs> I would still you know, again, to be clear, if, if there are any ADs out there that want to offer me one, like I'll buy it. Like I will happily buy it and I'd happily wear it. Does the price point make sense in the in the current pinpoint of like today's trajectory of a fifty of something like a fifty-seven eleven, but now modern or or the yeah. newest version. I mean, it's it, everything is punchy today, yeah, and like we sure. could have a whole other podcast about this. Like the Cartier Pebble, which I also love, is a forty-two thousand dollars watch. Like that's insane for that. That's a Piaget based movement, a tiny little chunk of gold. And granted, it's like a complex ish case, but like that watch to me, it went like before I knew the price, I would have said like twenty-two. 23, right. it's double that, you know? So like this watch being 69, we'll call it 70. Like when I bought, I say this all the time, when I bought my 5711 Rose, also gold, no more or less expensive than white gold. It was, I think, 
52 retail and I paid slightly less than that. So this is 50%, effectively 50% more than that. The world has changed. They can get it, right? So who are we to say what's too expensive? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it it becomes one of the most nebulous conversations you can have about any watch is like what it costs. It costs what people will pay for it. And I know that's like, it's almost trite. Yeah. But we're also talking about Patek. Like that's literally their market. They will charge what someone will pay for. It is. And like Patek is not Rolex or Omega. You know, Patek is for, Patek is 1% of 1%. You know, this is not. This yep. is not like, hey, I did good this year. I'm yeah, going to no buy doubt. a watch. Like if, you know? if you want to sit with me and argue about how a Seiko is $500 overpriced, yeah. I'm here for it. Yeah. Let's grab a beer and have yeah. the conversation. The numbers don't matter attached to these watches to some extent. Yeah, this is a rich man's brand. And like that, it always has been. It always will be. And yeah, I mean, 70000 bucks for a white gold Nautilus, again, I'd pay it. You know, And I think anybody that, if, if, if anybody got offered one, even if they couldn't afford it, they would try as hard as they could to find a way to buy it, for sure. All right, so then it, almost exactly the same money. A hair thin, a hair less, eleven hundred dollars less for the yeah. new fifty nine ninety A. I just, I don't, I don't, I just don't get it. I mean, there, there's so much stuff that I don't get in the watchmaking world. Were you a fifty nine ninety fan? Period uh, or not really? Yeah, yeah, I, I like it. I mean, it's it's travel time with Chronograph. Like those are yeah. two things that like speak to me for sure. When they first came out, there was a lot of pushback from me and others that it was too chunky. But like, sure. you know, now it's whatever. So like, this watch was effectively discontinued and then not, right? It was, yeah, it was it was like the the line was flat and they just the la- the yeah. last defibrillator brought it back. <laughs> yeah, with a new dial. I I don't have much to say here either. Yeah, honestly. I mean I I like the fifty nine ninety. I think they're cool. I'm I'm a um, uh, and I will probably forever if I ever get the opportunity. Let's let's put this way in the future. Be a Nautilus. Uh, be a an Aquanaut guy. Yeah, I know you like the fifty one sixty four. But there's something kind of very Aquanauty about a fifty nine ninety. Yep. Yep, could just be the travel time, and yeah. I'm just conflating. But no, it it you're you're not. And again, like that, you know, the I, I make this kind of joke all the time, and I will certainly be offending some people I know here. But like, <laughs> I get I get like friends and enemies and people I've met once or twice saying like, oh, like you know, bro, can you help me get a fifty one sixty four or fifty nine ninety? Because like it really just fits my lifestyle. Like I travel and like it's sporty and I'm sporty. You know, it's like that type of shit. <laughs> and the fifty nine ninety and the fifty one sixty four, it's the same boat. You know. It's like, like, you know, it's, and we all know those guys. We've actually been around some of those guys in the past, you know, a few days and, uh, no big deal, but it's like, yeah, they're, they're cool watches. They're great watches. I've owned a 5164 R great watch. Yeah. You let me review that one. I I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed my time with it. Cool watch. A big, big fan for sure. Uh, moving on feel any specific way about the 5712. It looks killer, right? I mean like the, 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 it's not too Brown for it's too Brown for me. Uh, not too it's brown not for too, you. I mean, I, you like the double, yeah, yeah, the 57 R 57 11 R like that's one of my favorite watches, mm-hmm. you know? Um, no, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. I, I find that the, this is like a aesthetically and I, you know, I just look at Patek from a catalog level, but the weirdness of the dial has really grown on me in the last five years. Yeah. I mean, it's asymmetric. It's yeah. just, it's just, it's just odd. I mean, again, it's a Nautilus on a bracelet. It's going to go yeah, crazy for sure. All right, let's get to, uh, you want to talk weird. Let's get to the Destro 5373P. Yeah, I mean, what a weird fucking <laughs> Where thing this, this come is. From? Yeah. So, you know, th- this watch has existed in the 5372P for, I don't know, as long as, as I can remember. Oh, well, yeah. But this is a watch that, you know, I talk about often, like, people like, oh, you know, AP and Longo are better than Patek, blah, blah, blah. And I think that might be true up to a certain price point. But there are Pateks that, like, kind of, like, dial it up to 11 and once you cross the half a million dollar price point, and I know how ridiculous that sounds, Patek is in a league of its own. And the 5372 has always been in a league of its own. It is just a different thing. You know, it's uh, it's 
ultra thin split second perpetual calendar. Maybe not the best looking apertures are a little wonky here and there, but the fact that they just redid it with a left-handed crown, right? Mm -hmm. Is fascinating. That watch of all, why would you do that one? And like, not only just the left, it's not that just the left-hand crown with the blue dial, like you have a slight gray dial, red accents. Yeah. Very sporty. Extremely sporty. Kind of, kind of feels like a sibling in a weird way to the um, what was the the triple date QP chrono, uh, a- annual calendar chrono. Oh, uh, with the gray and red. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That. Yeah. I can, yeah I'm, that. I'm sorry. Jet lag is getting me because that's one I like. I, I don't know the price. We could look it up somewhere, but like this is a high six figures watch. Yep. And so to do it like this, look, I, I you know we've talked about this for years, but like I appreciate that Patek is making cool shit, and this is cool in the sense like this is real high-end watchmaking that caters to guys like us with just a lot more money, like young guys, <laughs> you know? So I respect that. I'd but be it's a just, different guy with a lot more exactly. money. Exactly. Uh, it's just bizarre that that they would just make this watch of all things left-handed, but respect yeah. it. And again, like, you know, this is kind of like Ferrari-ified, you know? It's like kind of far- carbon fiber-y and like kind of, like, and this is in the strap, kind of Kevlar-y looking. Or something uh, like yeah, that. it has a texture and has a bright red stitching. Yeah. Right? So, so. And the other thing with this would be, you know, obviously with my proclivities, if like the 5960, which is the reference we were searching for and you just reminded me of, we did a post years and long before, I shouldn't say we, you did a post or Hodinkee did a post before my time with a 5960 on a gray NATO. Yeah. And I loved it. And yeah. like, I think this could William. do the same thing. William Rohr. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, I can tell you a funny story, but not a funny story, but a story about that. It's actually not funny. <laughs> it's at it's all. not funny. It's, it might, might be interesting. <laughs> it was 2010. 10 or 11. Okay. A guy named Jason Heaton. You may have heard of him. I know. A guy named Blake Bettner. Oh, I know that dude too. So we did like a little Hodinkee Academy in New York City and we flew him in. And mind you, like this is when like our office was my apartment on Jones Street, 19 Jones Street. And uh, I was like, hey, you got to meet this guy. Like he's kind of like a friend slash mentor. His name is William. So we go go to the Soho house. And this was like, you know, when Soho house was like the cool thing. And whatever. okay. And William shows up wearing a 5960 on a NATO strap. And that was just like mind blowingly cool to us, you know, yeah. just mind. And that, you know, that watch was trading for still so cool for me. Yeah, I for love sure. It. But that watch, you know, like we didn't, you know, we didn't see watches like that often back then. But that watch at the time was a dud, you know, it was trading for well below retail, et cetera. And that was fucking cool. And then we got really drunk and went to Corner Bistro and had hamburgers. And he was wearing his 5960 on a NATO. I like it. And uh, yeah, that was one of those moments that I shall never forget. We should get a burger after this. We should. All right. So then we get to the two that I, I wrote about. Uh, let's start with the 5204. Um, in, in my mind, and, and again, I defer to your knowledge. Like for me, this feels like a like a progressive casualization of the continuation of the 5004 they're making it a little bit more chill it's a little closer to steel the olive green dial it's cool i mean yeah. it's a so much money it, i mean i mean the <laughs> split second perpetuals from paddock have always been yeah. really expensive i mean mayor wrote that story for us on 1010 about like mm-hmm. watches that like if instagram existed when these were out they would just have been crazy 5004 he mentions 5004 was the watch. I mean, that was like, your, I mean, 5970 was kind of the watch. 5004 was like, you're John Mayer, you know, or you're Eric Clapton. Like, you're not right. like, you're not like just a successful dude. You were like beyond the man if you have a 5004. Uh, and it was iconic and it was small and weird. And it was like a little hamburger with like, you know, like stacked up. And the 5204 just never, and I think John mentions it in this story, just never hit the same way. It's a little softer, a little bit bigger. It just doesn't doesn't have the same kind of like cool factor. And the world has moved on. Like complications are just not 
Yeah. Do you Vogue. think it's mostly a timing thing? Because like forty, the difference between what, what's a five thousand and four? Thirty-eight, five. Thirty-six. Oh, really, dude? It's a thirty-nine seventy. Oh, we up. should try and get a picture of those next to each other. Yeah, that'd be a fun post. Yeah, we. I mean, we used to. We we've done some stuff with five thousand fours a bunch in the past. Mm-hmm. They're amazing watches because they're thirty-six millimeters, but like that thick. That last the last fifty. Yeah. In steel with the white dial and I the know, black furniture. So good. Get out of town. Black furniture. That's good. So. The 5204 just like never really hit. And like, it's a great watch and has like, obviously it's like technically a great watch. And I think a nice looking watch, but it just never hit the right way. I think we're starting to get there. And I think, I don't know what you just, how did you just describe like the. Just casualization. Yeah, cas- casual is like casualization. Well, because like you look at how popular steel watches have been. Yeah. And it changed. I think it changed a little bit of the market for things like a 5004 enjoyed 100%. a time when that sort of watch was considered the peak. Yeah. Now we're into, uh, uh, especially I think through COVID, we're yeah. in the, the still a more of a casual phase when it comes to like, it's sport watches, it's steel watches. And these, I don't think that the the core of the audience for these has changed at all. It's the same people, but the greater attention is maybe moved yeah. to a different thing. I think you're right. I think the core audience is exactly who it was before, which was like mostly older men in finance or legal professions or sure. whatever, you know, private equity. But, the 5004 and 5970 and 5270 and all the, the big boy paddocks historically come on shiny, I'm talking shiny crocodile straps. Right. Right. And so now all of a sudden, you, like that alone is a, is a market change for Patek and so welcomed uh, to see these watches coming on like canvassy or just calf style sure. straps, like tan calf. Nubuck. Yeah, yeah, Nubuck, whatever. Right. Like these are just nice casual things that like you could conceivably wear with a t shirt mm-hmm. and jeans. A, a shiny blue or black or brown croc strap is like pretty hard to pull off uh, with the t-shirt and jeans. And so it's just nice to see this. And as you said, like now that with a green dial and white gold, like it's a nice looking watch and it'll, it might jumpstart it a little bit in the same way that like the 5270, which is the non-split perpetual chrono. That was kind of a dud for a long, long. Oh, really? Yeah, it was kind of a dud as well. Like nobody really just took it that seriously. And then they did the the platinum salmon. Right. And now they have the platinum green and now... It's an application piece and incredibly hot. Oh, okay. That was when when I first got into watches and like started to be assigned stories about Patek, a brand I knew very little about, but you know, kind of understood the cult around them. Like a fifty two seventy, that the first series yeah. with the white dial. That was that was a definitely something I had as like a wallpaper. Yeah, on my, on it, my I mean, it, computer it, it, for a while. It's always been an exceptional watch. Um, it always just kind of like paled relative to the fifty nine seventy. But like, there were moments where that fifty two seventy G, the first one, was trading for like eighty five thousand bucks. Wow. And now you know it's back up to who knows yeah. more. Yeah, lots. But yeah, and I think the strap thing is kind of an interesting concept because, of course, we I, I I'm sure it's happened before. But for me, the the suede strap, the Nubuck strap, that thing kind of hit earlier this year when they did the five, uh, the five two two six G, the new Calatrava, mm-hmm. which is like arguably a field watch, but made by the, one of the finest names in watchmaking. Yeah, just kind of antithetical and fun, and it feels like they almost leaned harder into the Calatrava travel time, the pilot's watch. I, uh, the rep, the several references are now failing me um, from 2016, 2017 into something that was even more casual, even more every day. And then we see this strap, the sort of suede look strap on this new world timer. It's it's one of the two options. Both are very casual, but even on the suede, it's like extra casual. So it's a 5935A. So it's a steel case. It's 41 millimeters, uh, has a rose gilt dial with a kind of car- carbon motif in the center. Did they call it carbon? That's what they said. Carbon motif. Their huh? words. 
Okay. And um, and then charcoal markers, so the the hands and markers. It's cool, and it's yeah. you know it, it, it's I, my favorite of the bunch. Yeah, I could see that, and I think like that's the point is appealing to like young younger dudes like you. And we were with somebody earlier today who's got like exceptional taste, crazy, and, and ability to yeah. buy watches, yeah. and he has one on order already. And like you know that's that's the pick of the litter for for most guys, I would yeah. say. Yeah, I mean, I, I I I could go on for a while, and I have certainly in text on the site about just how much I enjoy uh, a Cartier style world timer like it just it, it represents a, an era that's kind of gone and sure like now they're compromised we have several time zones that are 15 and 30 minutes yeah. uh, nevertheless i still think that it, it's it's so much of um it's a watch that never really left aesthetically never really left the time in which it made sense and that's what i like about dive watches yep and i think that's why from the dressier complicated side of the world i attach to world timers i get that i mean it, it really is extremely romantic and like yeah. it really like early days of jet set type of type of like uh, cosplay and it it's awesome like i i'm right there with you and the world time is one of the most romantic uh, complications have you owned any of these world time no never have i've owned travel time but never world time it's it's another one like the you know the the vintage world times like the twenty five twenty threes are like multi million dollar watches so obviously never those and then again it's like the fifty one tens p's and like the the kind of like early two thousands mid two thousands those were kind of like the ultimate financey broy watch you know and so that was kind of a turnoff but these are coming around in a really great way for sure yeah I find I I do kind of attach I don't know why and I haven't quite decided because the, the vintage ones that have the world the enamel world or whatever in the center the mm -hmm. globe yeah I like that but on a newer watch I like not having it agreed, agreed. but the, the other thing and this is like such a this is like one of the more obnoxious things i'm going to say today uh, or this weekend is it's a tuesday it's a tuesday the <laughs> world times i struggle with a little bit because and don't kill me for this commenters there's no place to stamp tiffany oh okay see that i mean that that's the value like if i provide anything to hooding radio that i would have never never once thought of that yeah and that's why it's nice to occasionally sit down to you i never i, I never considered that would matter well i mean it, to, to be clear it doesn't to like 99 but it's that nerd it's that nerdy yeah element. well it's, yeah. you know again like i've bought effectively all of my modern protects from tiffany okay and if you can't get it stamped what are you even doing you know and i don't actually mean that of course like yeah. that's a joke um but and I, when you play at a certain level like when you when you're in that deep and that specific then i could see it making a difference right yeah yeah, yeah. well it's like i, I mean it. you know it's like if you're gonna if you're gonna buy a gt3 like you want it without the wing you know like you just like if you're gonna do it like get exactly what you want you yeah. know and like no matter how much money i might ever have or you might ever have or anything like a patek is a lot of money so much and so it's just like damn like you want exactly what you want and mm -hmm. so if you if you care about that tiffany and most people don't obviously but if you do then like you should you should get one with that you know if you can um so world times don't don't have that ability which okay. is that's a bummer uh but i would get over it for the right watch and th this one in steel is definitely cool. i think it'd be sweet for yeah. sure all right, a question to close it out, and I didn't, I did not uh, prep you for this. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you, if you were to, if you could do a dream Patek, yeah, uh, one off. What, what are you asking for? Oh, interesting. I mean, there's so many. It's probably a split second of some variety. It, it. What's weird is like it might be a fifty-two oh four, okay, but in like a totally different case with a totally different dial. And so hands. that movement, <laughs> yeah, but in something else. Well, yeah. I mean, look, there, there are, you know, there, there are. They're, they're basically the movement that we talked about. Like there's thinner kind of higher end versions of that. But then we're talking about half a million dollars plus like that is so beyond reality. Sure. And funny. Me coming up with Hodinkee, like 5004 was the, the king shit watch, you know, anything beyond that was like, that's kind of crazy. Like, what are we even talking? It's like, this is a spaceship now, you know? Okay. So the split second perpetual is something that would be really compelling to me or 
5370, uh, which is the sp- just the split. Mm-hmm. You know, remember that watch with the enamel dial? Oh, sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was lovely. Something like that could be cool. I don't know. I mean, I, I love the 50, like the standard chronograph, 52, what is that? 5172. Um, you know, I, I've given some thought. I've, I've thought about doing custom world time stuff for mm-hmm. sure in like cities that would be meaningful to me. A, a 5078G, which is a repeater we talked about earlier, I think is about as elegant as a watch can be today and nobody right. really talks about them just they're, stealthy too yeah, stealthy yeah. yeah i mean it's like these are they're four hundred thousand dollar watches My goodness. Um, for for but they're mid repeaters yeah, yeah. but they're mid repeaters yeah, yeah, like, sure, yeah. um, what's money yeah uh <laughs> but i think you know a custom 5078 g okay. would be right up there as well i mean I'm, I'm into like the stealth stuff right. uh but there's not one like there's not one special thing out there you know if, like if somebody was like hey you can raid the archives of Batek over the last 20 years like a steel 5970, you know, like that would be, that would be right there for sure. Okay. I like it. Yeah. I think for me, I'd be really tempted to see if they could take the look of Briggs Cunningham's 1526, but do a 2597 series two. So the early travel time with two hour hands. Okay. So you, you came prepared for this. I, I think about it a lot. Like how much? Uh, like with some frequency, there's four or five Patek references that I adore. Have you thought about it this trip to Los Angeles? No, I don't think so. Okay. The question came to me just a moment ago, but I mean, I've had the answer for since you wrote the the Briggs piece, the Briggs Cunningham piece. Yeah, because I really do like. I think that's one of the most beautiful watches I've ever seen. Uh huh. Um, like I said in the post that I wrote about these uh, two Pateks, like I just I love uh, uh, Patek with the the black hands and markers mm-hmm. on a white dial, and to see it in a pretty stripped back in the 1526 perpetual calendar. But for me, like the 2597, especially when you see the ones, the later ones that have two hour hands, yeah. that kills me. 2597 is a really neat watch. I've, I've come very close on those many times. And like they're, for whatever reason, I just never pulled the trigger or felt. Did you know, did they make any in steel? I don't know. No, I don't know that no, deep. No, no, no. No, that I'm, uh, not that I'm just, aware of. Just uh, yellow and the, the expensive ones are rose gold. Yeah. Cool. Um, but they did, there was one at Phillips many years ago. They actually came up twice. That was my kind of style watch, which if, if you follow this, you follow me on this podcast, I talk about it all the time, which is like, I like original watches, not mint condition watches. Like, I don't care if it's been polished once or twice. I like, I like wear on the dial. Like, it means it's a real watch. There was a really nice, authentic looking uh, 2597 Tiffany signed. And it sold for like just a hundred grand. And I, and I have a smile on my face when I say that. Like, yeah. you know, like that, the estimate or the expectation was, I think, much higher than that. Yeah. I was like, damn, that was a watch worth buying. Um, but I didn't. If you don't know that reference, please hit the show notes. It's one of my most favorite watches of all time. Yeah, you've talked about it a bunch. Yeah, it's way too much. Yeah, that's I'll, okay. I'll wait a few episodes. <laughs> okay. We'll bring it up in a bit. All right, what do we think? Uh, I think that's an episode, dude. Thanks so much. Of course. What a treat. My pleasure. Always, always a pleasure to have you in my hotel room. We're reporting live from a dimly lit James Stacy hotel <laughs> it room. It is. The sun went down while we were chatting. I think we have to get to dinner for yes, sure. We do. All right, man. Thanks a bunch. And if you're listening and you enjoyed the episode, you know what I asked. Leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. Tell a friend. Share it around. And otherwise, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks' time.